Um, I'm only going to read five verses. You know, when we're singing, I can't hear the music because it's aimed at you. So I have to come up there so I can hear the music. Um, Can you hear me okay? I want to repeat for you what we said last week. If you happen to get up and move around, particularly when we leave today, watch the cables, but also do not forget that everywhere you go, there's going to be a curb to step down from. So please be careful of that. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 5. Why don't we stand together for the reading of the word? Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, we're burdened, not that we would be unclothed, so that we, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given to us his spirit as a guarantee. Father, we ask your blessing on the reading of the word this morning and the message this hour. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If I had the title of today's message, it would be, We Were Made for More Than This. I have never owned a brand new car. My first car was a Volkswagen Bug. Bob Dorschach said amen. It was a gift. It was a gift from my grandmother. Um, It was actually my grandfather's car, and he had died, and I was taking care of her, and she had to get rid of it. She couldn't drive herself, and it became my car. Uh, at that point, that was the only car probably I ever owned that didn't have some purpose to it. Let me explain. And no, I'm not going to take you through every car I ever owned. These are the standout ones in my head. In 1976, I purchased a Chevy Chevette. And the reason I bar- purchased that, back up, not 1976, about 78, I purchased a 76 Chevette because I was going to be uh, starting college shortly and I needed a car that would get good gas mileage. Um, in 70, at another point right around that time, I bought a 74 Pontiac Grand Prix, which I've told you about before. It was blue with a white Landau top, T-top, T-top, T-tops in the front, white leather interior, black carpet. It had a button in the trunk that opened the trunk, in the glove box that opened the trunk. It had an AM, FM, 8-track stereo cassette, and it was the greatest car that ever was produced by General Motors, with the exception of the fact that it got 8 miles to a gallon. It was a mistake. I bought a 1980 Dodge Omni to replace that because at that point, Janice and I both were driving back and forth to school in one car together. Not long ago, I purchased a Toyota Toyota Sienna. Some of you may remember seeing that. It was a white car, and uh, I bought that. You might think, what would the preacher who doesn't have any children need the white Sienna for? Well, my daughter was having her first child, and she was driving a Honda CRV. So I bought the white Sienna with the plan being I would swap her because I knew she was going to need it. And she did that. And then I had a car that I didn't need, a Honda CRV. 
But my older daughter was going to school up in Ravenna, and she needed a car, so I gave that to her. And then we bought another van because the baby came along, and we realized as grandparents we needed something to haul the stuff when we were doing the grandparent thing. All of my vehicles have at one time or another had a purpose. That or else they were a really, really, really good deal. The year I graduated from high school, Spartan Chevrolet in Boardman, Ohio, had a 1980 Chevrolet Camaro, brand new, T-tops, and I signed the papers to buy it. I'm so thankful that my friend Ed talked me out of that. Do you believe a car could change the trajectory of your life? I think that car would have changed the trajectory of my life. All of this to say to you what I said at the start. I've never purchased a brand new car. Now to add insult to injury, and you won't make this connection real quick, but you think about it, you'll get it. To add insult to injury, God called me to preach. <laughs> Let me tell you what I just said right there to you. I have done several dozen brake jobs in the driveway of my home. I've done a complete upper engine rebuild a few times in the driveway, one that lasted from fall to the spring because it got so cold I wouldn't go out and work on it in the middle. I've changed transmissions on a few cars by myself. I've done water, water pumps, alternators, and all that stuff. And I'll tell you this, I enjoyed it because you know I like to do that stuff. But now that we're 58, I'm not enjoying it quite as much. I've never had a new car, probably never will. But I also know that Andre Agassi was wrong. Image isn't everything. New cars break down. New cars need brake jobs. And eventually they'll need water pumps, transmissions, and all that stuff. And isn't it something that Paul is talking about all that in this morning's text? Let me show you. Listen to what he said in the first verse. We know that if the tent of our earthly tabernacle is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made in the heavens, eternal with hands, eternal in the heavens. Did you know that Paul was a bivocational pastor? It means he had two jobs. Yeah, Paul was a pastor. He, he built churches. He started churches. He grew churches. Paul did that. But before he did that, he made tents. He was a tent maker. And for him to talk in these terms, we know that if our earthly tent is destroyed, he was talking about something he knew. He was talking about something that was normal. He was referencing the human body, this tent that we walk around in, with something that people could identify with. It's just as normal as your pastor talking to you about old cars that I've owned. And tents, you know what happens to them? They get ripped down in windstorms. No matter how wonderful the tent maker is, tents will blow away in the wind. Some way or another, tents get destroyed. And another one would have to be constructed. And then the same thing would happen. But what's Paul saying? He says that in the midst of this body, this tent, undergoing the ravages of things like cancer and COVID and the common cold, there's something better for us. We've got a tent. Rather, Paul actually changes the word here and says we've got a building. 
that's made by God. It's not made with human hands. And it's waiting for us in the heavens. And it is eternal in its nature. And it never gets destroyed. It never gets worn out. And it's never going to need to be repaired. But listen to what he says in the second verse. In this tent we groan. We long to put on that heavenly building. You know what it's like to groan. Have you ever really groaned deep down? It happens when the tent gets torn again, or when the tent gets ripped in a big way, or when there's high winds or a fire, or the tent just wears out. We groan. My phone died within the last 10 days, and I had to go get a new phone. And I can't stand it when it happens because phones cost so much. But my life is now wrapped around it. And I need it replaced. It's neat. It's cool. I want you to look at that. It's got three cameras on the back of that thing. Isn't that something? But it also costs money. It's got a lot of things I don't know how to run. And four years from now, I'll be back in the phone store looking for another phone because this one will wear out. I wish my cars and my phones weren't disposable, but they are. They don't last forever. So here again what Paul said. In this tent we groan, longing to put on the heavenly building. And then he says this, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. You see, putting on the new covers something up. Paul says, I don't want to be found naked. We don't like to be exposed. We don't like to admit that we're frail beings, that we rip, that this body isn't eternal, that it's actually quite temporary, that our knees and our hips and our elbows and every other joint will ache with arthritis. And yet even our kidneys, our spleens, and our lungs wear out. And even this thing up here gets a little tired. And it reminds us of how frail we really are in this tent. Not long ago, our niece was taking her family to the swim place up at Cedar Point. Janice and I were both off and we grabbed Easton and we went up there and we had a big day playing with our our, our niece's kids for a few hours. When we got done... They have a bathhouse up there, and I took Easton, and we walked ourselves to this shower place, and we pulled a curtain across, and I said, buddy, we got to wash you up and get all the chlorine off of you. I said, take your shirt off, and he looked at me, and he said, what? (laughs) I said, take your shirt off, buddy. I got the shower. What? And I said, just take your shirt off. I'm going to wash your hair, and we'll wash you down. Papa, he says, I don't do this in public. Well, finally, I got him to get his shirt off, and we washed his hair and everything else with the trunks on. And then I turned my back, and he slipped on his shorts, and all was well. We don't like to expose ourselves, do we? And We really don't like to admit that we can't do what we used to do. That as time goes on, things get tough. Sometimes they get tougher quicker for others than they do for us. And sometimes... We just groan. Paul says, because while while we're still in this tent, we groan. Being burdened, 
Not that we would be unclothed, but rather that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal might be swallowed up by life. Let me tell you what Paul's actually saying here. He's saying, yeah, this body is frail. It's burdening us. And we would not want to just take this body off, but rather we'd like to put the best things on. We'd like for this body that's weak and that's, that's unable to do the things it used to do to be repaired, to be fixed, to get a new water pump, to get a new rack and pinion. Don't go too far with that thought. To get, you know, those things to make our bodies better. Janice has a little red Toyota Camry and talking to Bob Spaulding one day, he was telling me about ceramic car coating. It's a, it's a wax or a polish or something. And so I went home and told my wife, and next thing you know, she's got ceramic wax coating putting it onto her car because that's supposed to protect it. Now that fancy motorcycle I got, you know what I wax it with? Lemon Pledge. <laughs> The seniors online that uh, have these bikes tell me that the best thing you put on is lemon pledge, so that's what I use. What's Paul saying? We groan in this body. It hurts. It aches. It's not the best thing it could be, and we wish that we could get it repaired. We wish that we could get it fixed, that everything could be put back how God intended for it to be. But then he gives us this fifth verse, and I want you to hear it. He has prepared us For this very thing. What very thing? That our mortal body would be swallowed up by life. Hear me, I want you to get this. When Paul said in that fourth verse that our mortal body would be swallowed up by life, he's talking about repairing what is, but but then he talks about the fact that, no, God's got something better for us. God's got something really, really great for us. If we've driven that Chevette, One day we're going to have a Cadillac. If we've driven that Ford Fiesta, one day we're going to have the Lincoln Continental. You see, God's got something in mind that's better. And he says this, He who has prepared this very thing for us is God. And he has given us his spirit as a guarantee. You see, God's prepared for us a future body. Something better. And he's given to Christians his Holy Spirit as a down payment for that. But he's actually got something far better for us. Do you remember what Jesus said? Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I've gone to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll take you to myself that where I am you can be also. And you know where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You can't come to the Father except through me. But now you know him and you've seen him. See, Jesus knew that our bodies were frail. It's a reason in Scripture it says things like this. We have this treasure in jars of clay. I want you to think about that for a minute. God took Adam and Eve out of the dust of the earth and he formed them into people and he put into them their souls. It's nephesh, the Hebrew word. It means what makes you who you are. It's what makes Joel, Joel, and Gloria, Gloria, and Catherine, Catherine, and Bob, Bob, and not the other Bob. But he also breathed into us his spirit. 
and the breath of life. That's why we have this treasure, the thumbprint of God upon this frail body. You might not always see it, but it's there because we're made in his image. This treasure in a jar made of clay. And why did he do that? To show us that the power belongs to him and not to us. That's what the scripture says. What happened to Adam and Eve after they were created and after they sinned? Well, God spoke and said this, By the sweat of your face you'll eat bread till you return to the ground. Because out of it you were taken. Dust you are and dust you shall return to. Even from the earliest time, God let Adam and Eve know that these tents, they weren't permanent arrangements. That's the reason Scripture says things like this. The first man was from the earth, a man of the dust, but the second man is from heaven. As was the man of the dust, so also those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Think about this for a minute. It's a very familiar passage that John gives to us in his epistle. He says this, Beloved, we're God's children now. Now let's understand this. Even the letter that Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians, what we've read this morning, that was written to a church. That was written to believers in Christ. And here as John writes, John is saying, Beloved, we are now God's children. Right now, in this body, this tent that's fallen apart, that's got problems, that's got difficulties, that hurts, that aches, that seemingly is going on perhaps longer than we want it to, we are God's children in that body. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Think about that. I went, I'll tell you this real quick because it still amazes me. A few weeks ago, Janice and I went kayaking. Janice has kayaks. There's a weight limit on one of them. That's the one I get. It's her way of ensuring I don't eat any more ice cream. But anyway, we go to go kayaking. And this young man over at, yeah, Walworn Reservoir, Stark Parks. As I'm, I came back in from the water before Janice and was going to pull the truck over and throw my kayak in. This young man that worked there, he says, Sir, sir, and I thought he was upset because I left my kayak on the beach. He says, No, he said, I can help you load that up. And I said, Well, okay, I appreciate that. And I circled the truck around and started loading up, and I just picked up conversation with this guy, right? I'm just, you know... How You live around here, where'd you go to school, have you been to college, all that kind of stuff you ask. And finally I said, he, he said to me, well, do you know so-and-so from Aldersgate? Folks, that's the church I used to pastor right around the corner over there. And I said, well, yeah, I do. I said, how do you know him? And then I looked at him. <laughs> Remember, I've, I've been here since 2013, I think. Time has passed. When I was over there, there was this, this kid about this tall who was a skinny little runt. And this guy I'm talking to right now has beefed up. He got a mustache going on. And, he is ch- and I looked at him and I said, Joe. And he says, who are you? And I said, well, I used to be your pastor, Joe. And then Janice strolled in and he, he recognized who we both were. My point in saying that to you and telling you that story is this. Beloved, right now we're God's children. The way we look. The way we are, the circumstances we've got, the situation as it is. But we are still God's children. And it's an internal thing. And what we shall be 
has not yet appeared. But we know (laughs) when he appears, we'll be like him. You see, we're not there yet. We're not, we're not what God intended for us to be here. I got a really curious thought that I wrote down. I better, you better take a cup of coffee before I tell it to you, okay? What if, I want you to think about this. What if heaven is not just a place that we go to live after death? What if heaven is actually a place where God has our future bodies waiting for us? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I come again, I'll receive you to myself. That where, you, where I am, there you can be also. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare that for you. You see, this body, it's out of the dust Scripture says, just as we bore in the image of the man of dust, we'll bear the image of the man of heaven. But there's a better body. At every service that we have for someone that has passed on in the Lord, I read from 1 Corinthians 15. And what I read is things that say things like this. This body is sown a natural body, but it will be raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And that spiritual body is the resurrection body. It's the body that will be like Jesus' resurrection body. It is the body that God has guaranteed to us as children of God. No wonder in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, He has put his seal on us. He's given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Can I tell you what that means? The Holy Spirit in the Christian's life is a down payment for what's coming. Yeah, we live in this tent. Yeah, we live in this body that aches. But the Spirit in us is the down payment for what God's got for us. In the book of Romans 8, and I'm near the end. I'm going to finish up in a moment for you. In the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, the 9th to the 11th verses, please open your ears of your heart a little bit to hear what Paul says right here. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because of his righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit Who dwells in you. Remember that Volkswagen that was my first car? It was a beautiful yellow bug. So you know, I'm, I'm about to tell you about committing Volkswagen apostasy in the eyes of Mr. Dorshuk. 
When I got that car, I, I, I thought that, you know, Volkswagen was an old man's car. So I sent to J.C. Whitney. If you don't know what J.C. Whitney is, ask somebody, somebody around here that, that knows a little bit about cars. They'll tell you. And I got a plastic fiberglass kit, and I cut off the front end and cut off the back end, and I got tubes for uh, uh, bumpers on that thing, and I got adapters to put Chevy wheels on a German Volkswagen, and I got a pipe that came out of the back to make the exhaust look good because you could look in the back of that thing and see an exhaust, and that pipe that was supposed to go out sideways, I went took it and had it bent so it came straight up out of the back. Can you see that going down the street like a trumpet? Straight up out of the back. The police re- required me to put a baffle on it. I worked at a grocery store at the time, and the Cremora lids. Remember the big jars of Cremora? That would screw right in there. I'd pop profit it in. I'd drill a few holes and go down the road. It baffled it. And then when that blew out, I'd go get another cream or a lid. Anyway, it, it, it was a vehicle. And I thought I was something. Until I wanted to ask a girl out. And then I looked at the car and said, you look like a fool. <laughs> you look like an idiot. If the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in your jalopy. You are driving a Cadillac and don't know it. You see church there's something deeper inside each of us. Who know the Lord. That tells us we're made for more than this. And that brings me to my bottom line for you. And I want you to hear it good. Our current limitations reveal something of God's greatest expectations. Let me translate that for you. When we think what we can't do because of the limits of this tent, they are less than an equal and opposite of what God has in store for us. Paul would write these words, and I want you to hear it. I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This creation waits with longing for the revealing of the children of God. This creation is subject to futility. That creation will be set free from its bondage. We will obtain the freedom of the glory of God of the children of God because we know that all of creation's been groaning together as in the pains of childbirth until this moment and not only the creation but we ourselves we who have the first fruits of the spirit we groan inwardly as we await the adoption as sons the redemption of these bodies for in this hope we were saved In this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. Church, I want to tell you, this body is feeble. This body is frail. This body may not look like much, and it may not do what we want it to do. But the spirit within us of Christ, the spirit within us of Jesus, who over had, once drove the worst vehicle you could drive on the cross of Calvary, came out of the tomb with the best vehicle that ever existed, the resurrected body. 
And that is the down payment, the Holy Spirit in us that God gives to us, that this body, we don't know what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him, for we will see him just as he is. When Jesus walked out of the tomb and they came to touch him, he said, touch me not, I've not yet ascended to my father. One night the disciples are in a room all by themselves, and seemingly Jesus walks through the wall. You can't explain it, you can't understand it. And when he ascended on high, he walked out of here the way that God intended for us to be. With a body that overcomes death, with a body that is prepared for eternal life. With a body that God intended in the creation that the Christian will have throughout eternity. Amen.